The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, coming to you today from Fairbanks in Alaska. Just uh, about three hours ago, now I gave a presentation to 300 business people. Fantastic audience. The weather may be minus 10 degrees, but the audience was hot. So I want to thank everybody here in Fairbanks for making my stay here so enjoyable. We're heard in over 60 countries around the world, and we're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. Now, this show is all about trying to provide you with the latest information that I think is going to be useful to entrepreneurs and giving you tips that will assist entrepreneurs to be more successful. Google appears to be planning to test its Project Loon internet balloons across the entire United States. The company's asked the FCC for a license to test experimental radios that use a wireless spectrum in the millimetre bandwidth in all 50 US states and Puerto Rico. Project Loon is Google's plan to operate a fleet of solar-powered balloons. They're being developed at the uh, very secret X labs at Google, flying at an altitude of up to 90,000 feet that can beam internet access down to the earth. They've described the project as a way to bring internet access to people in all developing economies, in all regions of the world that develop that lack communications infrastructure. Well, that's really cool, and they estimate that it'll bring in billions of dollars in revenue. They're also developing drones capable of delivering internet access, and they're currently testing this in New Mexico. So... They're well on the way to providing internet access to everybody on the planet. This is going to be great for not only Facebook and Google, but for the whole U.S. economy. Now, if we can only get these guys to pay U.S. taxes, we'd be, you know, we'd be in front. They do all this stuff in America, develop it, it works great, and then they ship all the money off to God knows where, and we don't see any of it. Seems to be something fundamentally wrong with that problem situation. Now, everybody, doesn't matter what you do for a living, you're a salesman and you're trying to, always trying to sell somebody something. You know, this is in your private life when you've got to convince somebody to, um, to buy something or if you're in a bar trying to pick up a girl, it's a sales job, isn't it? And there's only six motivations for anybody buying anything and I thought the discussion of these six motivations might be beneficial to every listener. And no one motive is more important than another one, but bear in mind that at least one of these motives, although often more than one, applies to every purchase. Now, the first motivation is the desire to gain something. This first buying motive stems from the person you're trying to get to agree to something, wanting to gain financially by purchasing whatever it is that you're selling. The desire for gain could cause a company to purchase a software package because it believes its employees will work more efficiently, um, and as a result, the company will show a greater profit. Uh, it could be your kid committing to study harder because of some incentive that you offer. So this desire for gain can prompt an individual to purchase real estate or take personal investments, but it's all about getting a gain. The second motivation 
is the fear of loss. It's amazing how many people buy something because they're scared to lose it. And just as people can be motivated by a hope for gain, they can also be motivated by the anxiety of losing what they already have. This buying motive relates to the fear of financial loss if the product or service is not bought. And people always want stuff they can't have. You know, people always do. Do you want to go to that show? Not particularly. Well, there's, there's only one seat left. I'll take it. <laughs> the um, it may prompt, you know, could prompt a store owner to install a security system because people will nick stuff, or enlist the services of a security firm for the same reason. The fear of loss is a prime motivation in the purchase of insurance, for example. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, "Hey, today I'm going to buy some insurance. Wow, that'd be great." They buy it because they're afraid that something might happen. It could be in, it could be identity theft. It could be somebody breaking into your premises. It's a, about preserving one's financial viability. The third motivation for somebody to buy something is comfort and convenience. You know, what would you do without your Swedish foam mattress? I couldn't live without my digital cable. Or what if, what if I didn't have an iPad? God, so most of us put in long, arduous work days. What better way is there to soothe a tired body and relax your mind than coming home to a hot, bubbling jacuzzi? So I've got to have one of those. So purchasing goods and services to promote relaxation offers us a sense of ease in our busy lives. So they're often the things that many of us use to justify working such long hours in the first place. We reward ourselves with purchases that enrich the quality of our lives and make us feel good. The fourth motivation for buying something is security and protection. People make countless purchases motivation, motivated by the desire to keep themselves, their families and their property safe. We need only to look at the sales of mace, car alarms, private security, to see how important this buying motive is to so many of us. It's, with all this terrorism going on, um, it's be, it seems to be becoming more important to people. So as publicity surrounding these crimes increases, so does the purchase of self-protection, such as, for example, one that I'll never understand, guns. Black Friday was the biggest number of um, security checks on gun purchases ever. Seems pretty stupid to me, but nevertheless, as the instances and the publicity surrounding fatal illnesses like heart disease and diabetes rise, so does the market for diet plans, for vitamins, for health clubs. We're motivated, regardless of what we're afraid of, by a strong need to purchase that which will protect us from these things we're afraid of. The fifth motivation for purchasing something off anyone is pride of ownership. So why does a person buy an expensive home or a Jaguar in an, upside, in an upscale neighbourhood? Why would a shopper spend hundreds if not thousands of dollars on an outfit from a famous designer? Again, I don't know. Why would an art collector, why would an art collector pay you know, $100 million for a single painting. So whether we're willing to admit it or not, there is a bit of label mentality lurking in most of us. We're often willing to pay a premium to own an exclusive item just for the pride and the prestige of owning it. Be it an exquisitely crafted leather jacket or a high-performance speedboat, there's a certain high a sense of achievement one feels in being able to purchase such a short, sought-after item. Fortunately, my wife doesn't give a rat's about any of that, so I'm pretty safe. However, um, I would love to um, have – it doesn't necessarily have to be a Lamborghini, but I'd be very happy with a Tesla sitting in my garage. And the final motivation for purchasing something from someone is the emotional satisfaction that you get from the purchase. For example, to see our loved ones happy, we're often willing to make significant purchase. You know, jewellery, flowers, luxury vacations, um, picking up the tab for your friends at an expensive restaurant, 
that pride in caring and providing special things for those who are important to us is a result of very deep-seated emotions. We feel good making the purchase because we gain love and appreciation. And we all need love and appreciation. And we all strive to avoid disapproval and rejection at all costs. I mean, some people pretend they don't, but they actually do. So, as you've probably realised by now, people buy emotionally. No matter what the purchase is, whether it makes you feel good or makes you feel sad, your initial reaction is always an emotional one. Every single purchase, no matter what it is, is made emotionally first. Then you probably justify it pragmatically, but the initial purchase is made emotionally. So the, the emotional trigger is much more powerful But unless there's a compelling pragmatic reason not to buy, people will go ahead with a purchase. So your job, before you pitch somebody, whatever it is that you're trying to sell them, is determine which of these six triggers is more likely to get them to commit and then create a very emotional argument that they can't refuse. So sit there and work out exactly what this, you know, what is this motivation for this person and then play on it. You know, you should buy this Lamborghini because just think how fantastic you're going to feel every minute of every day while you're sitting in the Los Angeles traffic, sitting on the freeway with everybody in the world staring at you and envious. Mate, you'd have me, I would have, I'd, I'd be putting down the money straight away. Now, if you're not yet a member of the um, American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management, it's the premier organisation for business in the US. And if you're serious about improving your skill level, improving your status, creating a bigger network, getting advice from the best people on the planet, you know, you can also put um, the initials AISMM after your name. You get a great plaque for your boardroom, or you can put it above your bed in your bedroom if you want, but it's very prestigious. And there's a wealth of the latest information, complete business audits, webinar, and advisory board that's like no other on the planet. So go to AISMM.us and join now. My interview today is Dick Powell, who rose from digging holes and climbing poles. Sounds like a dreadful job. Just imagine, like we're in Alaska. It's cold. It's wet. It's miserable. Just imagine digging holes and climbing poles on a day like today. He became a best-selling author of How Not to Lose Your Bass in Business. Dick's got a background mentoring up-and-coming young entrepreneurs. He's got a very simple mission, really. It's to help people help themselves to achieve their goals and dreams through, I guess, three things, knowledge, drive, and tenacity. His strategy is to work what he calls his daily five to stay connected with like minds and be ready and prepared for new audiences. So I'm Bob Pritchard. I'm on Voice America Business Channel. I'm broadcasting from Alaska and I'll be back with Dick right after this short message. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. 
That's Bob at BobPritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking No Bullshit Radio Show, where over the last four years, we've given you insights into the lives of over 250 of the world's most interesting business people, and we've done a little bit of delving to uh, work out what makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to be successful in business. It is, and particularly for a startup where you're trying to do so many things yourself. And we all need all the help that we can get. And that's why it's really critical to have mentors to give you advice that you can take on board and hopefully prevent you from making the mistakes that so many others have made. I've had mentors for probably the last 35 years and uh, a few of the people that um, were mentors to me 35 years ago are still around. And I hate to think how many times they've saved my bacon when I've come to them and said, look, I've run into this issue or I, you know, I don't quite know what to do and they've helped me and showed me the path. So I urge all of you, if you don't have mentors, and it's, don't be shy about it. You know, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has the same problems. So, you know, I used to think that um, I had to have all the answers. So therefore, you don't ask other people for help because you don't want them to know that you're vulnerable. Well, I don't give a hang about that anymore. Um, If I don't know something, I'm quite happy to, to front up to pretty much anyone and say, look, I need help. And, uh, if you choose your mentors wisely, then they will make a huge difference and uh, they'll help you overcome the challenges that every one of us face. You know, it doesn't matter whether you just started a dry cleaner, whether you're in the tech business or what business you're in, we all face the same issues and it's a, it's a challenge. Now, Dick Powell rose from digging holes and climbing poles to become the best-selling author of How to Not Lose Your Bass in Business. Dick has a background mentoring up-and-coming entrepreneurs, which we salute at this program. And uh, his mission is to help people to help themselves achieve their goals and their dreams through knowledge, drive, and tenacity. And you certainly need all three of those things. His strategy is to work what he calls his daily five and we'll find out what that is in a minute, to stay connected with like minds and to be ready and prepared for new adventures. Like I've said to you before, if you, um, if you want to be successful, hang around successful people. Yeah. If you want to be smart, hang around smart people. If you want to become fat and lazy, sit, sit at home and watch Oprah. It's, there's a direct correlation here. You know, the more people you mix with that have got a get up and go and that want to achieve and have drive and have a positive attitude, the more you'll have drive and a positive attitude. And today, with so much negativity around us, um, I was just saying to Dick before we got on air, you know, I wake up every morning and I feel great and I'm happy and I'm positive every day. And it makes a hell of, you know, life's too short not to be happy and positive. Dick, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm really looking forward to it after that intro. (laughs) Um, You know, everybody tells a bit of bullshit in their introductions, don't they? I mean, I I think um, I've often say to people, you know, when somebody introduces you for a speech and they say all those wonderful things, um, if I actually listed all the things I've screwed up in my life, it would be a 20-minute introduction, you know. Because all of us make mistakes, all of us um, go through the same hardships. Now, you say that you grew up on a dead-end street. What exactly yep. does that mean? That means the street dead-ended, dead, just came to a flat dead-end, and nothing was past there except the swamp and woods. Okay. And <laughs> it was nothing. There's just It was just wild. So how does that prepare you for um, what you're doing today? I gather... You know, we haven't met yet, but I gather from your voice that you're not a, you're a bit like me, you're not a chicken anymore. So um, how did that prepare you for what you're doing today? 
Well, I think the the best way to prepare me was is my grandfather uh, took me in and raised me. Right. And because we lived on a dead end street, there wasn't much to do. But he had been a, a custom cabinet builder in his younger days, and and so he had a big big woodworking shop. and And the biggest thing he taught me was working with your hands was a good thing because you had to work your mind just as much as working your hands. Yeah. And that was a great lesson. I think also it probably teaches you precision too, because if you you know if you if you're woodworking and you make a chair and the four legs are all different lengths, you'd be in heaps of trouble, wouldn't you? Well, and that that was a big part of it. Um, he would let me use all the tools, but only after I mastered them. Right. Um, we were making a custom cabinet, and it had round circles on the outside of it. And then, of course, the round circles were cut into a fancy um, little flower. Well, okay. cutting the round circles became a piece that I was going to be able to do on these cabinets. But he gave me a stack of scrap wood, and I cut circle after circle after circle until I learned how to do it right every single time. Right. And that persistence, when you're, when you're starting a company, you're starting a business, persistence you know, is a big part of where you need to be. When I work with brand new folks who, who want to start their own company, Believe me, uh, the the word tenacity has to be in the vocabulary because it's, yeah, it's tough. It's, Sorry, it's hard. Yeah, so many people think you know I've I've just invented this wonderful uh, widget and people are going to line up at my door to buy these things, and it really doesn't work that way, does it? It really does not, and. You know, that's the whole thing about being seen and heard. That's another part of the business of the business that just isn't told or isn't taught. And, and it's, it's, it's something left out. And they say, well, go network. And they go, well, what's that mean? So there's a lot more to the business of the business yeah. than is being taught in the business schools. Um, it was quite funny. I have a, I have a nephew who, who graduated from Wharton uh, Business School with a Ph.D., and, and when he wanted to start his own company, he called me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Uncle Dick, what, what are some things I need to do? Yeah, um, I believe that. I, I gave a speech um, or a presentation not that long ago to um, the University of Stockholm, and uh, the um, professor came up to me afterwards and said, we don't teach any of that stuff here. And I said, well, what experience have you had um, in business? And he said, none. I've never been. I've been an academic all my life. So here's somebody who's an academic all their life um, who's teaching kids how to get out and make a dollar in today's unbelievably fast-paced, technology-driven world. And they've had no experience of it whatsoever. And isn't that scary to you? It scares me to death because... I, too, have been asked to go to the colleges, and, and the first time I kind of got in trouble with the one professor because I was telling the young people the truth. Yeah. This is hard work. It's going to take time. It's three to five years to get your company up and, and, and running. And they all looked at me like, well, no, the professor said we were going to make $180,000 our first year. And <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think the other, another thing that um, most entrepreneurs don't realize is that most of their life, unless they're very fortunate, is going to be preoccupied with raising funds of one sort or another. And, uh, you know, once you begin to grow, you need even more funds. So the fundraising is sort of a never-ending task. I tell everybody, if, if you're going to be in your own company, if you want to do that, this is a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour-day job. Yep. This is not something you just can get in and do. And, and that's usually part of the first interview when we work with new entrepreneurial people um, is, is, you know, how many hours do you want to work? How many days a week do you want to work? And, and it's always the answers are always the same. You know, I, I want to work three days a week, and I'll come in at 10 and leave at 2. And, by the way, can I have an hour for lunch? Yeah. Um, and, and I tell them, well, well you're not going to make it. Your company's going to fail, and you're going to lose money and get into the realistic side of the house. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the part that if I could 
if I could put in a capsule to give someone to swallow, that would be what I'd put in there. The business of the business is more than the idea. It's more than the dream. It's, it's, it's always more than you expect. It's going to take longer than you want. And it's always going to have its bumps in the road that you do not, don't expect. Well, there's a hell of a lot of smart people out there that start businesses and 97% of them fail. So 97 out of every 100, I often say to people, you know, look around the room. Do you think you're one of the three smartest people in the room? If you're not, you're gone. You know, go and look up the classifieds, get a job with the government. Um, so what was, you, you know, you've, you've had success in two areas. You've, you've had success, well, two areas that I know a bit about. Um, one of them is um, becoming a successful mentor. And, of course, the other is becoming a known speaker. And uh, so what are your greatest obstacles in both of those? What's the greatest obstacle to becoming a mentor that people actually seek out? I'm I'm going to tell you the truth. And I was 59 one day, and I wasn't a very good, well-known mentor. And next day I turned 60, and all of a sudden I was a well-known mentor. Um, People looked at me in a different light when I became a best-selling author. Yeah, there is a a following of people who need to know that you're you're actually who you say you are, and because there's so much BS in the world, as you yep. said, that that they need to get to know you and build a relationship before you can mentor anyone, and it's taking the time with the folks and in, in yourself, taking the time to build that relationship before you can come alongside them and mentor or coach or any of those things. So it's, it's, it's taking the time. Yeah, and I've had um, five books, I think, and, it was, and you're right. It wasn't until I actually wrote my first book, which was about 1991 or 92 or something, that um, things changed. And right. it, because it, it does make you an expert and it elevates you so that um, people actually want to talk to you. <laughs> Because you're right, there's you know you look up um, mentors and there's millions of them. Good mentors, there's not so many. Um, how did you get? I've been speaking for a long, long time, and it took me a long time to go from sort of zero to somewhere where um, people will pay the sort of fees that I that I command. Um, and that was just a matter of being around and. You know, putting in the hard yards, finding out the the contacts of every um, uh, person who worked in every bureau on the planet. We've got a database of about six or seven thousand people that work at bureaus <laughs> around the world, and we mail them every month. <laughs> so if you you know if you can't get work doing that, you ought to give up. But how did how did you do it? How did you how did you make that jump to um, being a successful speaker? Well, I, I, for me, it was a little different. I started out speaking behind campfires at Boy Scout events. Okay. And there uh, went on to, they asked me to come and teach and, and, and be an instructor for uh, leadership. So I did those things. And then in my own company where I worked for 30 years, um, I started out digging holes and climbing poles and ended up the, the uh, director of education for that company. Right. And. That's really where I started the, the opportunity to speak. From there, I became a company spokesperson for several years for the company out of Sacramento, California. Right. And that was traveling all around speaking for five or 500. Um, and so learning that craft really became really clear to me. The thought of being a speaker was very early in my, in my youth. Uh, my sixth grade teacher always told me that the words and speakers were the ones who would be listened to and they would be the leaders of tomorrow. Right. And, and she made such an impact on me that I started to learn speech. I started to learn words. And because I wasn't a, the best scholar in the world, um, that is how I, I made the difference. That's how I, I, I made my mark was in speaking in different places because most people could say well i don't want to stand up and talk in front of the group and i would say i'll do it you know because i I like it um (laughs) well i'm I'm a little bit different than that in that i 
I can get up in front of 10,000 people. doesn't bother me at all. I don't like getting up in front of 10. It doesn't bother me one way or the other. When, when we're doing a small uh, workshop and seminars, I have to tell you, I really do enjoy walking down, sitting down at someone's table and, and helping them through a situation. Hmm. We're working now a lot with uh, small seminars, working on vision, you know, the future picture, mission, your purpose, and then your strategy, your plan. We're finding over and over that no matter how educated or uneducated the folks are, they understand those three things. And what we have found is if they work on those three things, they will be a success. It, it's a, it just works every single time. Right. No doubt about it. You talk about the Daily Five in your book. What the hell is the I Daily do. Five? Well, the Daily Five, I, I, I used to teach Mary Kay, and Mary Kay always has the Daily Six, and so I chopped it to five. But here's what, exactly what it is. There's five things that will work with you to find the five things that you need to do every single day, seven days a week, you know, every, every day of the year, that will push you forward to let you reach your mission and your vision. That sometimes they're little daily goals, and sometimes they're, they're different. For me, I'm an author and a speaker, so my daily goals are these. I, you know, if you're going to be a, a speaker or an author, you've got to read every day, and you need to read everything you can get your hands on, so I read every day. Right. And if you're going to be an author, you have to write every single day. You know that. You've, you've got to put down words on paper and learn that craft. Yep. It's not something that comes you know, overnight. Um, my third one is I speak somewhere every day. Right. Uh, it might be only at the grocery store to the person behind me, but I'm going to speak somewhere every day and tell a story somewhere. Right. And the next one is I network. And for me, networking is social media. It's getting out and meeting people face-to-face. It's, it's, I do it all the time. I do it every day. Yep. But that's a part. And, and number five is I plan. I have a daily planner um, that works for me for my daily, my weekly, my monthly, my yearly piece. Um, you know, we're getting ready to sit down to Thanksgiving this week. So for me, this is when I sit down this week and look at what happened this last year. What can I do better? What do I need to add? What do I need to leave, you know, leave out? Right. And it's, it's really the time I start putting together next year, 2016. So the Daily Five are drivers that you're going to do every single day to drive you towards your mission, your purpose, yep. and your vision, your picture. What percentage of people um, do you think are born to be leaders, born to be writers, born to be speakers, as against those who learn to be those things? I, I find I've never had a speaking lesson in my life, although I've sort of studied stagecraft a bit so that I you know, know how to use a stage well. But I've always found that people who are natural speakers are much better than the sort of robots that are churned out by somebody like Toastmasters. So do you... Me too. I, I, Toastmasters just... Anyhow, that's another story. We won't go there. <laughs> I think I'm in your team. I, th- I think we share the same view. Yeah, um, and I think leadership's the same. Some people just have a, you know, natural-born aptitude to being a leader. Um, I agree. But so I, I think yeah. more. I agree with you. But I think there's something more to it. I think that everyone has the ability, but there are some people who get the spark and want to learn more and study more and and grow more and. And, and be around other leaders and be around other speakers and, and, and learn the craft. There's, there's something about the, the way that I came up through the, the apprentice program um, when I worked outside on the line crew, when you started off as a grunt and then you became an apprentice, then you became a master, and then, you, you, know, right. you know, journeyman, then a master. The, the thing about that is, is this. You might not liked all the things that were happening to you at that time, but what you learned and gathered from the people that were going ahead of you was huge. Right. And, and for me, that's exactly how it happened. I, I don't have any formal training as a speaker. Good. It's just I, I've been doing it all my life. Yeah. 
do you do you it's, do you find that um, you know I, I guess a lot of the people that come to me uh, who are entrepreneurs tend to be millennials to maybe a fraction either side uh, of millennials but nevertheless millennials and and they don't want to know about learning your craft over a 20 year period they want to be you know they've they pop out of the womb they put the order on the lamborghini and they expect to have it by the time they're 24 do you do you find that or do you find that people are becoming less and less patient about learning a the craft I, th I think we've spoiled them in many ways i i know that here in the states we have spoiled them by saying, okay, if you get a high school education, well, that's pretty good. If you have a four-year college education, you're guaranteed of a new job. And if you get your master's degree, it's going to make more money. And by the way, if you get your Ph.D., it's going to make you even more money. But the real reality of that is it's a lie. True. And so then they get out of college and they have the degree. Um, they have a big debt and they can't find a job. Now, to take that job as a menial job, um, you know, as a plumber's helper, as an electrician's helper, or whatever, oh, that's just beneath them because they have a college education. Yeah. And I don't think they understand the need to get your hands dirty. And, and like I said, my, that was one of the big things my grandfather kept over and over. People that work with their hands must learn how to work with their minds just as much. You cannot do woodworking unless you know math and geometry. Yes. You just can't. All right? And if you're going to do any kind of home repair, whether it's fix the toilet or, or you know, uh, put a new light socket in, it's simple work. But then again, it's logical thinking that will make that happen. So I think we've we've kind of jaded some of our young people uh, to think that this immediate action, you know, if I just suffer through four years of college and I have this piece of paper, by golly, I've got it made. Um, and, and it's not true. Yeah. Um, and of course, against that, you've got the fact that 74 or 76, I can't remember what percentage now, but something like 76% of the top 100 wealthiest people in the world never finished high school. <laughs> I know. And so doesn't that doesn't doesn't that prove to you though that um, um, a lot of these skills are sort of inherent rather than learned? I, I do think so. Uh, but like for myself, I do not have a college education. I have a self education. Yeah. And and I, because of that, maybe I read more. Maybe I study more. Maybe I'm willing to put in longer hours. That's um, the key. People always say to me, well, gee, Dick, you own your own company. It must be nice. You can take off and do what you want to do. And I tell them, I'm, I'm, I'm up at 5, 36 o'clock in the morning uh, because I'm writing you know, my next book. And, and you have to be disciplined when you write a book. You have to sit down and do it every single day in order to get it done. Yeah. It's a discipline. And, and that's, I think, what you're talking about is, is do the young people not have the discipline to complete? Right. So I, so I'm I'm 25 years old. I've got a pretty smart idea, I think. And I walk in and I say, Dick, look, um, I've got this great idea and uh, I want to set up a build, business and build a business. Um, can you give me some advice? Give me, give me, say, the top three things that I really need to have that you really need to teach me for me to... Um, have a really well, good start with this business. I, I'm going to tell you, I think you've got a great idea that we need to do some things first. Sit down. Yeah. Now, do you have a treasure chest built? Do you have money put away in order to sustain yourself and this company for at least two years? The answer that almost everybody would have is no. So what now? Okay. What we need to do what we need to do is take your idea and we need to build on it. So let's, we're going to have to go find a real job. Ooh, but what are you willing to do to get to where you want to go? I want to go. Okay, so you're going to be willing to do something you don't want to do. And this is the difference between successful people and non-successful people. Is successful people are willing to do what they don't want to do to get to where they want to go. Right. Okay. 
okay so but if I go out and get a if I go out and get a job doesn't that prevent me from spending the time I need to spend to develop the business idea that I've got no because we're going to do it at the same time okay and and this this is where it really starts to hit the rubber starts to hit the road and they'll go dick what'd you do and I said well I I work full time you know, I, I practiced my craft. I, I went out and spoke everywhere. I didn't, you know, get paid for it. A lot of times I got a free dinner or a free breakfast, but I kept practicing my craft and, and holding a full-time job, raising married, raising two children, putting them through college, all those other things, and I kept at it. I was persistent. I was tenacious. I was going to make this happen. My dream never changed. You know, my, my vision never changed. My mission to help other people never changed. My strategy had to change from time sure. to time, you sure. know, because quite frankly, life happened, you know, and, you know, yep. children come along, uh, cars break down, <laughs> yeah. you know, all those pieces. Yep. So, uh, yep, what's the next piece of advice? Uh, next piece would be is now we need to make sure the name of our company really is we can have it. So we need to do the research, and then we need if it's free, we need to grab it. We need to get our our website, you know, name and and grab all those things and get ready. Next thing, do does your where you live does it need a license to do what you're going to do? And then you need to start building your team. And these won't be full-time people. They'll be people as you need them, but you're going to need an accountant. You're going to need a lawyer. You're going to need someone to to know how to do production work if you're building a, a widget. Yep. Start building your team. All these things have to happen while you're still out doing the networking and, and, and pushing the product because nothing happens unless you're, unless you're seen and heard. So true. if you're not being heard, you're not being seen and heard. That's true. Okay, that, that, they all sound like pretty good advice. Where did, where did the name of your book come from? How, do, how the hell did you come up with How Not to Lose Your Bass in Business? See, I, I, my last book was called Kick-Ass Marketing, and I just straight out there laid it on the cover. Um, so <laughs> I was wondering how the bass got in there. <laughs> I, I, I learned most of these tips from a professional bass fisherman. He was a friend of mine, and uh, he was this guy who taught me more about business than anybody else. Right, and I originally named the book just um, I, it was a business book. You know, get in business, stay in business was the name of the book. And an eighty-year-old lady at my church uh, said, "No, that shouldn't be the business. You should make it to how not to lose your bass in business. It'll be a catchy title. Everybody will want it. And then go inside the book and change some of those things. So they have bass, you know, names. Right. And uh, I did what she told me, and it, it was the right thing to do. Great. That's good. <laughs> So what new projects are you working on at the moment? What's your um, focus? Focus right now is, is radio stations. Um, I've been invited on to WOTG Radio, which is a gospel radio, so I do right. a leadership corner, 30-minute re- leadership corner every day. Right. Uh, every day? Every day. Wow. And, uh, Sounds like work. Well, it's five days a week. It's not bad. Well, and I, then there's, yeah, I'm, I'm, on air, I'm on air an hour a week business and i just i've been doing it now for four and a half years and i i just you know my biggest struggle is trying to find topics to talk about that i haven't talked about before that have changed enough for anybody to be interested so doing something five days a week an hour a day that sounds like a lot of research to me i I have to tell you i'm I'm very fortunate I, i everything i've ever written i have copies of Right. Uh, so two years ago, I started a new regime, and and I sit down and I write 365 blogs in January. Now Woo. I don't use them all, but I, I I spend that month doing that. That's what I do in January, um, and and it's just something I've gotten the habit of doing. But during the year, I, I'm always writing something. I'm always doing something. You know. Because I get up and I write every single morning. Uh, if I'm out and about and I see something happening, I, I put it down on paper. The other big thing is doing is uh, um, a thing called the Leadership Wrangler. Right. Okay. And you've probably seen the Wrangler on, on Facebook. 
and and he has just gone crazy. People love the Wrangler, and and the only thing I can say is people like Cowboys. But yep. I'm like you. I get to say when I'm the Wrangler, I get to say whatever I want to say, and everybody loves it. It's great. So that's the two big ones I'm working on, and I do have two more books. So. <laughs> yeah, books are books are hard work, aren't they? I mean, I, I, it takes me forever to write a book. I just um, you spend I don't know countless hours every day, and of course, writing text writing textbooks like you and I do is hard. My last book was I don't know four hundred odd pages of stuff that you'd teach at an MBA course, and it is really difficult to put it all together because you know that everybody that reads it's going to be critical of it. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, and, and they are, and they will be. <laughs> yeah, and they will. You're right, they will be. <laughs> yeah. Dick, thank you very, very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I really appreciate it. Uh, that was very, very good, very entertaining, very interesting, and great advice. Now, you can learn more about Dick at ewfw.org. That's ewfw.org. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel, the number one business radio show for entrepreneurs. This week, broadcasting from Alaska. Today, I'm talking about the three startup killers and how to avoid them. So, you're on a winner. The market loves your product. You're hiring like crazy. You're on a growth curve, and the future's looking pretty damn good. You're looking for success, and you're not looking for landmines. However, there are landmines buried everywhere, and business killer number one is a degeneration culture. I've heard so many entrepreneurs say, you know, it's not like it used to be when there were just five of us. Now it's bloody hard. Five people's different than 10, and 10's vastly different than 100. So your working environment's naturally going to change with new people, new personalities, and inevitably a whole bunch of new behaviours are going to raise their head. So you need to see this change of culture early on. Realise the potential changes, prepare accordingly, and then act quickly to mitigate any risks. You must be deliberate in choosing the type of behaviours that you require for success. So you need to lay out the um, specific statements that are going to reflect what you want to achieve. Examples are performance and results always come first. We don't tolerate any bullshit. We won't work in silos. We take our work seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. We leave egos and baggage at the door. We treat people with respect, always. So you can create a number of very specific statements around what the team will and will not do. 
So the leadership team must buy in and live it daily or the company will fail. Now, company culture impacts everything. It impacts behaviour, the actions people take daily, the way they communicate, how they treat each other, how they think and how they feel. So more than anything, it's got a direct impact on your ability to successfully execute strategy. Business killer number two is wasted resources. It's amazing how often startups realise they've been working on the wrong thing for six months, and it's called pivoting. Then they shut down major development projects teams and change rapidly change focus. Now, everybody's got to be ready to pivot, but it does kill a lot of companies. Now, the biggest waste will come from not getting the most of your primary resource, which is your people. You cannot afford to squander their talent time or their effort. The most important decision is often deciding what to stop doing. This sounds easy, but it's not. You know, every project, every activity and even daily tasks need to be evaluated against one simple question. Will this help us succeed? And if you're engaged in anything that does not directly impact your overall goals and activities, get rid of it. So you've got to ask yourself three questions. How will we measure success? What do we focus on to be successful? And what does each person in the team need to execute? And business killer number three is poor execution. A business environment is dynamic. The ground's constantly shifting under your feet. In that type of environment, you need to be disciplined. And this is the most fundamental principle for startups in the growth phase. Charles Darwin said it best, it's not the strongest of species that survive, nor the most intelligent, but the one that's the most responsive to change. So they're all things that are critical. You need to be certain people are focused on the right things, get visibility on performance, and build a team around discipline. And success requires a finely balanced approach to all three business killers. Make sure you subscribe to my monthly newsletter and the radio show summary, which is sent out to over 16,000 business executives in over 60 countries each month. We sent one out this week. Now, if you want to subscribe, simply go to bobpritchard.com. In the meanwhile, remember, if you're not really pushing the envelope, if you're not really living on the edge, then you're taking up too much bloody space. Piss off, let somebody who wants to do something get past you because it's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard, and I look forward to your company again next week from my hometown of Los Angeles. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.